Dogcast Radio. If you like dogs, wherever you are in the world, we're the show for you. Hello and welcome to episode 124 of Dogcast Radio. In this show we have a profile of the now rare but once very popular Celium Terrier. Richard Burton knocked on Mrs Cunningham's door one evening. So she opened the door and Richard Burton was standing there. And he said, have you got a ceiling for sale? It's for Elizabeth. And that's how the story goes. That's how Elizabeth Taylor got her one called Taffy. Plus, we have the Dogcast Radio News and a review of two Cecil Olden books. But before all that, we pick up the story of Sadie, the dog who incredibly survived two snake bites. When we left the story, her distraught owners, Lindsay and Matt, had got their beloved dog to the vets in the nick of time. But that was by no means the end of the story, because the vet did not have good news. We were both standing there, and uh, the vet was telling us that uh, uh, we were running out of options, which I didn't even realize until later. I, I just had never been through an experience like that, but that's code, obviously. And um, So uh, she said, uh, what do you want to do? Because we could give a blood transfusion, but that's throwing money at something that might not uh, improve and uh we uh we said okay let's do another blood let's do a blood transfusion let's do um another antivenin whatever you have to do and uh she said are you sure because this is gonna be really expensive and uh we said yes we're we're sure and uh so um i we kneel uh, i leaned forward to say goodbye to her and Sadie all of a sudden started sniffing and sniffing a lot at my my sweater, mm. and so uh, I uh, Matt said, you know, maybe take off your sweater and put it in front of her, see what she does, and mm. so I did, and she lifted her nose a little bit, lifted her head just a little bit, and kept sniffing at my sweater, and so I put the sweater underneath her head, um, and. Uh, uh, then we we kissed her, and I had um, uh, we, we when we got home, we both thought that that was the last we'd ever see her and uh, i couldn 't sleep that night. I was up all night crying, so was matt and uh, it uh, um, about maybe five in the morning, I finally called i couldn 't wait any longer, and I just said because they said they would call us if uh, things changed um, and uh, they said, oh, well, we're, um, she's sitting up, wow. and uh, we're going to be transferring her soon, and, uh, you know, call us again at 7. And so we called at 7, and um, we, uh, they said, oh, you, you can, um, uh, you don't have to come on, you don't have to come here because we've actually already transferred her. And uh, she walked to the van this morning. And I said, she walked? (laughs) (laughs) um, So uh, it was really incredible. And when we got to the the other clinic, when they did the transfer, um, they they transferred her back to the non-emergency place. And... uh, uh, because the emergency vet clinic couldn't keep her around the clock. They could just keep her at night. And so they would have to transfer her during the days. Uh, so I got to that, that second clinic and uh, was looking at the paperwork. And the paperwork said um, about the time like that uh, the owners have been informed 
of uh, the lack of options, euthanasia has been uh, recommended. And I thought, oh my goodness, I didn't even realize that that's exactly what she was saying. And and, uh, then um, about a couple hours later within the report, it said they checked on her and she was sitting up and vocalizing. And then, yeah, and then uh, the the next time they checked in on her, her heart rate had gone down and uh, she walked uh, out of the, the cage and to the van. Wow. And, uh, so it was, it was really incredible. And so um, we decided because her condition had uh, worsened so much just from, you know, it, it was, it was so um, uh, precarious mm-hmm. that uh, we wanted to make sure she had the best care available, and so we decided we were going to transfer her to uh, the uh, this clinic called the Veterinary Specialist of the Valley, which is in Woodland Hills, California, mm-hmm. uh, which is uh, probably about an hour north of where where she was. And uh, so we we drove her up there, and uh, they actually had. Uh, 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 they they had vets on hand that had experience with uh, cases of um, venomation, and uh, they uh, knew exactly what to do. They could provide the around the clock care. There was no need to transfer her, and uh, it uh, definitely was what she needed. And uh, so we got there, and uh, we uh, uh, had authorized more transfusions by that point she had had by the time she got to that hospital she'd had five blood transfusions um she had had uh six anti-venin doses um and they didn't need to do any more anti-venin when she got to this uh facility they said that that was enough and um that uh they would have to do one more blood transfusion uh, and uh, it's interesting because, um, well, she had had three of her um, transfusions were from uh, parts of the blood, and then three of them were from whole blood uh, samples. And um, uh, it, it, there is a program here where uh, greyhounds actually donate. Uh, they have greyhound blood donated, and greyhounds are universal uh, universal donors for the Mm -hmm. most part Uh, they have uh, programs that take uh, retired uh, greyhound uh, uh, race dogs and uh, they will uh, get uh, uh, their uh, blood donations uh, for the blood banks Mm -hmm. and uh, so it's uh, we uh, we now say that Sadie is part greyhound because (laughs) (laughs) and uh, so she stayed at this next facility, facility, and they let me stay there during the day, which was wonderful. I um, sat there, and my uh, employer let me work from the vet, <laughs> from, the, from the facility. And uh, so I actually sat in the cage next to Sadie. Uh, it was a very large cage on the floor, and I sat with her, and I worked, and I um, sat there with my laptop. And, uh, of course... Uh, um, I couldn't get too much work done because my mind was completely on her, and I, I found myself uh, uh, 
really just um, I, I was posting a lot of photos on Facebook um, and uh, a lot of my friends and relatives uh, started uh, uh, chatting with me about Sadie's condition. They were all very concerned and uh, asking me for regular updates and uh, I decided that I was going to create a Facebook page just for Sadie to, to uh, uh, drum up some more support to really uh, provide an outlet for everybody who wanted to get updates on Sadie. Um, and uh, so I put photos and videos of everything that was happening at that clinic um, on uh, the uh, Smiles for Sadie fan page. And uh, I, I called it Smiles for Sadie because uh, – there uh, was one of my friends had said, uh, you know, we're sending smiles your way. And I thought, oh, oh that's really <laughs> sweet, especially since I didn't think Sadie was ever going to smile again. Yeah. And, uh, she's the happiest dog. And so I just thought, oh, she's not going to be able, she's going to lose tissue around her mouth and she's not going to be able to smile. And uh, so uh, I, uh, I sat with her during blood transfusions. I, um, I was. I got to feed her her first uh, non-intravenous meal. Uh, one of the vets had uh, walked past with some tuna fish for a cat, and Sadie perked up, and uh, <laughs> we said maybe she'll try it. And so we put out the tuna fish, and uh, I've got this great video of her just gobbling down an entire uh, bowl of tuna fish and that was her first meal and it was just so exciting to yeah. see that yeah. um, that was uh, about uh, um, maybe about four days after uh, um, all this had happened she hadn't eaten in all that time she'd been getting intravenous uh, nutrients yeah. and uh we gave her water. She had water her first time, and uh, she was just, uh, it was just incredible. Everything was just incredible to see all of the, the baby steps that uh, were were taking place. And um, we uh, uh, were able to uh, um, see uh, her eyes after uh, about five days. Um, finally, the swelling had reduced such that I could see her eyes. Um and uh, uh, the swelling was going down a little more. And uh, finally, after six days in the hospital, they let us go home with her. Mm. Uh, and uh, she was still bleeding quite a bit. Um, still a lot of blood coming out of her mouth. So we had to keep our eye on that. And uh, uh, I actually took her to work one day because I didn't want to leave her at home. And uh, uh she uh, just slept under my desk, and uh, but everyone noticed that her eyes were yellow, and uh, that concerned me. And I noticed that uh, her skin, she has uh, a white uh, uh, neck and belly. Uh, she's a black and white uh, uh, pit bull mix, and uh, she... Uh, I could tell underneath the, the fur it was yellow, uh, where it's usually pink. And um, I could see that in her um, bodily fluids as well, that there was this real intense yellow. And so we had her checked out, and it turned out that her um, she had experienced secondary liver damage. And this is actually pretty common with... Uh, um, uh, blood transfusions, and I didn't know this, uh, mm. that uh, 
if you have um, a lot of blood transfusions, Sadie having had six within the course of just about three days maybe, uh, there is um, a lot more iron that's actually uh, put into the bloodstream and too much iron can actually cause secondary damage to the liver. And uh, so she had ele- elevated bilirubin count. She was jaundice. Um, and uh, so uh, we had to uh, just keep close watch on her. Um, there really wasn't anything we could do except for um, just uh, uh, monitor, monitor her. And uh, um, we kept her uh, indoors. We didn't uh, uh, take her on walks or anything. Didn't want her to... Um, get she was very weak mm-hmm. um, and uh, could just see like her um, she just wanted to sleep a lot and that was good and uh, yeah. Yeah. Uh, we uh, monitored that uh, um, condition for about a month month every week going in to get uh, blood work done and they kept telling us okay well you know it's um, it, the conditions improving 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 and then finally about three weeks ago, they finally told us uh, that her liver was functioning normally, and that there were no more there was no more need for another uh, visit. Yeah. Uh, so, uh, it's uh, you know even after the treatment for uh, the rattlesnake bites, uh, she still had uh, there were still things that we had to watch out for. So it's. Yeah. Uh, it's been incredible. <laughs> yeah, she's obviously a fighter, isn't she? My goodness. Yes, yes, she's incredible. She, um, there's actually, um, it's it, it's uh, one of my friends said, and this is kind of a funny, uh, a funny thing to say, but it's actually so true. She said, "That's one tough bitch," and I said, "Yes, she is." <laughs> <laughs> so I actually want to get uh, uh, design a T-shirt and and maybe sell that. But yeah, she um, she's definitely a fighter, a fighter, and that's uh, it's something that you know she's not a she's they they uh, there's such a, a stigma for this breed, and uh, she's obviously not a fighter in that sense, but no. such a fighter in the other sense, and so tenacious and so um, full of life, and uh, yeah. she's she's really incredible. And uh, she, um, ever since all of this has, has happened, I've just gotten such an outpouring of support mm-hmm. uh, and uh, learned so much, uh, and I really just want to help other people learn because it's uh, – there's – too many of these things that happen and to people who are caught unaware uh, like we were and we've now since uh, gotten pet health insurance um, obviously you know better late than never Um, um, but I think that's critical Um, and uh, we also um, you know we're very lucky that we did have uh, the funds available with our credit card We, we obviously have a a huge debt right now to pay off, but uh, we had a credit card um, where we could use that. But uh, there was a dog that was in the next uh, cage from Sadie that was getting euthanized uh, one of the days that I was sitting there with her. Mm. And I uh, had asked about that dog. It was a little chihuahua. And they said, you know, uh, her owner just can't afford to pay for treatment any longer. 
And that made me think, you know, that's, uh, uh, I'm, I'm blessed in that, uh, you know, we, we, we could settle that debt, (laughs) but not everybody has that option. Um, and, uh, we did, uh, raise some money from, uh, city's Facebook page, uh, uh, with the first uh, few weeks that, uh, after this had happened and that was great. We raised about $2,000 and, uh, um, you know, obviously that, that helped quite a bit, uh, getting us, uh, we were able to get her medication and we actually used that money to, um, enroll her in uh, rattlesnake aversion training as well. Yes, and I which, spotted this on, your, on the Facebook page. Yes. That's fascinating. So how do they do that? Yes, this is, this is a very amazing thing that is available also for uh, dog owners. It's, uh, they take rattlesnakes uh, that uh, uh, have uh, muzzles. Uh, their mouths are taped shut and uh, they... Uh, take live rattlesnakes out and they will put them on the trail. There's a, uh, a course where um, they, they set up these uh, different uh, points of uh, this walking trail where uh, it's in a desert landscape and they put snake. It was actually a uh, golf course in this uh, in this case, but uh, you know it's got the sand and the um, desert uh, uh, foliage and uh, uh, so they put uh, snake skin down on a rock uh, and they pa- they walk with Sadie past the snake skin and then past live snakes and then even past uh, a, uh, a little uh, iPod that had a, an mp3 of uh, a rattle mm-hmm. a rattle or it's rattle and uh, so what they do is they put a, an electronic collar on the dog. Hmm. Uh, Sadie's never worn an e-collar. Uh, I'm, I'm not, haven't been an advocate of uh, use of uh, uh, the e-collar for, for training, but uh, in this case, I thought that this is probably, uh, um, hmm. was, was probably essential. And so uh, um, we, uh, they had the, the collar on her and uh, the trainer walked her over to the snake's skin, let her sniff it, walked her over to the snake and uh, uh, she uh, uh, seemed to know that it was dangerous but then the trainer picked up the snake and Mm. she thought, oh, toy! (laughs) And she went to jump for the snake and unfortunately had a little shock because uh, she was not supposed to do that. But uh, uh, So she quickly learned um, from that uh, experience that, uh, you know, you're not supposed to um, go after snakes. And, uh, but we went past uh, the uh, sound of the rattler, and as soon as she heard it, she whimpered so loudly oh. and ran and uh, was shivering and so scared. Yeah. And uh, so she clearly knew the sound. Um, because, uh, from the second, uh, snake, uh, she, um, had heard it and, and, uh, smelled it, but couldn't see it. Um, so she, uh, was probably suffering a little bit of post-traumatic stress, uh, but it was very important for us to know whether she would remember or recognize. Mm. Mm. Uh, so she went past three total live snakes. Uh, the next, uh, two snakes that she saw, the second one, she, completely steered clear of she made pulled real hard to walk away 
And then the third one, uh, they set up the last test where uh, Matt and I stood at the bottom of the hill, uh, at bottom of a hill, and uh, we put a sn- they put a snake in between us, and mm. we called to her, and she was supposed to run down to us, and uh, they had her off the leash. They just had the e collar on her, and we called to her, and she looked. She's started uh, walking to- walking forward and then she saw the snake and turned and ran oh. <laughs> and she ran all the way to our car um, oh. in the- <laughs> and uh, which was about a uh, hundred feet away and <laughs> so she was not going to be uh, fooled into that and uh, no, no. so we opened up the door and she jumped in and uh, so we ended- we drove her back to the um, the the home where they had uh, uh, set up the training in the back uh, where they had a, a golf course in the back and uh, uh, they let her uh, hang out in their little kiddie pool uh, and just cool off and mm. just calm down, gave her some biscuits and uh, <laughs> uh, she was done but uh, she she passed. She definitely knows now that she's not supposed to mess with any snakes. Excellent. Um, yeah, I'm glad she's learned that lesson. Yes, yes, yes. Oh, so we gosh. we will um, the the trainer, uh, which is Mon Paw, like uh, Mon Pa, but it's Paw Kennels. Um, uh, they uh, uh, set up a lot of these in our area, and uh, they uh, work with a um, a reptile expert, uh, and uh, they actually get these uh, um, have these uh, snakes available for trainings. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, I, I had no idea. I mean, I, I hadn't really thought about what it would entail, but um, it, that is such such a good idea, really, because like perhaps Sadie is, is um, attracted to them, and you know, maybe the sound initially or the smell of them or whatever before she knew what they were. You know, mm-hmm. she was unlucky to encounter two like that, wasn't she? Oh yeah, yeah. It's the doctor said that. Uh, and at, at, at uh, all three of the veterinary clinics that we were at, they said they'd never, ever heard of two rattlesnakes in one day. No. And that they just were amazed because they did not think, and the first clinic didn't tell us this but until later, but they didn't think she was going to survive um, because uh, that just is unheard of. Yeah, yeah. Gosh. Now, um... I know you sort of you want to help people be aware of the risk of rattlesnakes and yes. know what to do if their dog is bitten and things yes. like that. So, um, where can people find out more about you or contact you? Well, uh, Sadie has a Facebook fan page, which is uh, Smiles for Sadie, and uh, it's for the word for, not the number, um, and. Uh, we also, which is just uh, facebook.com slash smiles for Sadie. Mm-hmm. And then uh, she also has a Twitter account and she has uh, about uh, 530 followers on Twitter now. Mm-hmm. She's, she's quite popular. She's more popular than me. <laughs> <laughs> um, but uh, she uh, is uh, smiles for Sadie. Um, uh, same uh, uh, style of uh, the word for uh, um 
it's uh, twitter.com slash smiles for Sadie. So, uh, and then also she has a blog and on the blog, we've been posting her videos and I'm going to be posting a series of resources, uh, so that anyone can, can check those out. Um, it's, uh, smiles for Sadie. So that's S M I L E S F O R S A D I E dot blogspot.com and uh it's a uh it's 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 a blog that uh, we just launched last week just because she had so many followers and i just decided well you know i want to bring everything into one place and uh provide a um a place where uh, uh people can view her uh, videos and photos and read her stories in full length uh, um at their leisure yeah. Well, I mean, I, it's an amazing story. I'm so glad she made it through. Um, and I'm so glad that you and Matt were willing to, you know, see her through it and, and fight fight for her and, and pay for it all. So, I mean, um, you deserve, you know, many more happy years together, all of you. Thank you so much. Yes, she's, uh, it's, it's, uh, she's now looking so much better. She has, uh, uh, her face has... Uh, healed up in a lot of areas. Uh, she has her scars that are in the shape of the fangs, um, <laughs> and it's actually uh, you know, it's, it gives her character. I think now yeah. she's. <laughs> but uh, the uh, uh, skin around her mouth that they thought w- that she was going to lose uh, due to necrosis has uh, um, the it's scabbed up and uh, fur grew back and it grew mm. back white. So she's got a little, uh, it looks like a little gray beard. Uh, looks like she's aged. <laughs> <laughs> Poor Sadie. So unlucky to be bitten by a rattlesnake at all. Never mind twice. But what a fighter she is. And how blessed she is to have owners who refuse to give up on her. We have a link to the Smiles for Sadie Facebook page where you can find out more about this amazing story. The average city dog lives three years longer than a country dog. Hello and welcome to the Dogcast Radio News Desk. I'm Kate. And I'm Nick. When Ian Thomas was walking his giant schnauzer, Monty, in Cornwall in the UK, he was unlucky enough to be struck by lightning. But fortunately for him, Monty came to his rescue. On regaining consciousness after the strike, Ian was unable to stand, but he instinctively put his arms round his faithful dog and Monty dragged him the short distance home. Because he was wearing rubber-soled Wellington boots, Ian suffered only burns to the head and hip, and although he recalls that as the lightning hit, Monty yelped, the dog was unharmed. Let's hope lightning doesn't strike twice in the same place. Meanwhile, Lola the Border Collie was not being as helpful to her owner in Doncaster in the UK. Lola's owner, Michael Bishop, was preparing for a toy fair, at which he was hoping to sell a rare Batmobile toy car worth hundreds of pounds. While Michael was briefly distracted, Lola managed to chew up the car and its box, and apparently the tiny plastic figures of Batman and Robin have been missing ever since. The car's owner had to be compensated to the tune of £850, which is over $1,300.
Apparently, actress and singer Selena Gomez is no stranger to adopting rescue dogs, since she already has five of them. But recently, she took on a 10-week-old husky with her boyfriend Justin Bieber after they visited a shelter in Winnipeg in Canada. They've called the new pup Baylor, and Selena has already tweeted pictures of him and her relaxing watching television. Sounds like she's setting a great example, and Baylor has obviously found a loving, supportive home, which is just as well, as a new study has shown that rescue dogs, particularly those who've experienced the terrible living conditions in a puppy mill, need help in overcoming their past and adapting to normal life. According to the research by Best of Friends Animal Society, in association with the University of Pennsylvania School of Veterinary Medicine, dogs can carry emotional scars for years. Owners who had adopted ex-puppy mill dogs said that the best way to support the dogs was to be patient and sensitive and have another well-adjusted dog in the house. And the really encouraging finding was that 95% of them would be willing to adopt another puppy mill rescue as they had found it so rewarding. And finally in the UK, a story hit the news of rescue dogs who needed a new home and it seemed like a big challenge. Not only are both dogs Great Danes, but one of them is blind. Lily had lost both eyes five years ago due to a condition which made her eyelashes grow into her eyeballs. Her companion, Madison, immediately started acting as her guide, staying close to her out on walks. Sadly, their owner was unable to look after them and turn them into a rescue centre, but when their unusual story was taken up by several newspapers and posted on Facebook and Twitter, The shelter was inundated with offers, and the girls are now happily settled in a loving new home. And on that note, that's all from us on the Dogcast Radio News Desk. Goodbye. The top grossing dog film of all time is Marley and Me, which grossed over $142 million. The Celium Terrier is one of the breeds on the Vulnerable Register in the UK. And to find out more about this delightful little dog, I talked to one of the very few British breeders, Harry Parsons. Because they're so rare, we started off with what Celiums look like. If you could imagine, if people know what a West Island White is, body-wise, they're similar to them, but they ain't got pricked ears, and they've got a more stronger, bigger head than the West Island White. So... If you could imagine size-wise, say, should we say a small terrier, i.e. a Jack Russell, the old type Jack Russell, West Island White, you'll be in the ballpark figure of size and colour. At the head, is, they've got a punishing jaw, a square head, and turned over little ears. More, more equivalent to a sort of the Welsh Terrier or the Lakeland. Yeah. And that is, you know, they, they was originally bred around bitches between sort of 12 to 15 pound and dogs was 18 pound. You know, so mm. the, the ones you'll see that are being, you know, there's a lot bigger ceilings about at the moment, but even some of the show people now in this country, uh, abroad, they've gone really big. So some of our show people are trying to breed them down and get them back to what they originally was. Yeah. But he's, uh, he's, he's a wonderful little, it's the character in the dog, I think, that attracts people. Because if he is big or he wasn't big and you had a ceiling, you would never own another dog, but you have to own one to find that out for yourself. Yeah, yeah. Now, his, soul, his soul and beauty lies in, in that thing. In, mm. in, in that way of I can't explain it to you really I'll answer these questions the best I can but <laughs> no matter how much I sit and tell you you have mm. to own one just to believe it 
Yeah, yeah. I mean, it is really difficult to put into words what is it about a particular breed that you like. You know, it, it's it's hard to convey sometimes. Um, what are they like to live with, you know, on a day-to-day basis? Uh, very interesting. I mean, <laughs> they as a puppy, they ass train very quick. When I've had people, that, the few I've bred, and people have had them, they go into the house and they'll come in, not like another test, stand at the door and look round. It's like they're surveying a new property. Mm. They ass train really easy, but they're a very intelligent and cunning dog, and they have to be, they have to bond with the people in the house. They have to be a part of the family. There's no ifs and buts. Mm. If you haven't got the time for a Celium, I would say go on to another breed. This dog wants to be your companion, and if you push him aside and you've got more important things to do, they'll probably bite something to yours, you know, or chew something up. And it won't be other than you've probably gone out without them or you're not taking enough notice of them. They're a very, very stubborn and intelligent dog. But having said the stubbornness is in their breed, but in a nice way. You hmm. could, they'll mix with other dogs. I've sent puppy celiums to people who have got four or five other breeds, and they rule the roost within a year, but they do it very cunning and crafty. Mm-hmm. Like, I'm the, I'm the leader of the ass now. You're all behind me. And be it, one chap, had, he had Rottweiler and a Dogman. Mm. That's the celium. Now, in a friendly way, he now, I've told, looks at the Rottweiler, stands there, the Rottweiler lies down, he curls up and goes to sleep in the middle of the Rottweiler. <laughs> they're no trouble. They're, they're not an aggressive terrier. Yeah. I've kept all terriers. So the aggression's not there. I mean, the working side of it is, is still in them. It's instinct. You can't take, none of us can take instinct out of a terrier. Mm. We can't do that. It's mm. in there. So some, some of the extreme working terrier people, I still know, say the showing in that has ruined them. It, and I agree with them. To the way of coat and size, but that's get a, we can get that back. You know, mm. I'm working on it. I'm living proof that I've got ceilings here that are 10, 11 inches at the shoulder, and 15 pound in weight, and they're KC registered dogs. Mm-hmm. You know, they are. You know, yeah. They're easy, very easy to live with. They love children. You know, they'll, they'll take as much exercise as you want to give them. They will stay in. If you stay in for a rainy day, they put their legs up, tickle their belly. Mm. The downside, I, I suppose, is. It's it food. They are a greedy little dog, and if you leave them there, they will eat, overeat. Mm. So it's easy for them to put on weight. They do love their food. But if, if you can call that a problem, you know, but looking after and maintaining, mm. you, you know, they, take, they do take a bit of maintenance. I, I find it easier to shave mine off. I haven't got the time to do and groom them as the show people do. Yeah. So to yeah. me, they get shaved off. They still look well, you know, and their ears, sometimes the ear canal is a little bit small and the air grows in with being an airy dog. So the ears need looking at you know, cleaning sort yeah. of and looking at on a, on, a, on a monthly basis. But other than that, there's a, they're tested for lens luxation, a movement in the eye, which is a swab test now. And if the dog is a carrier of the gene, then what you've got to do, you have to test done and you make sure that you mate to a clear dog. Yeah, yeah. So you're breeding out that, that genetic problem. But that pro- problem is bigger in, and is well documented in other breeds, i.e. Jack Russell, the Patterdale. It is... It is a small concern, but it's something with the gene pool so small. I mean, we've got to be very careful because with testing, we, we have bread. Someone had bread put two ceilings together, and they're both carriers. And mm. in the litter, there's five puppies. Oh. Five of them tested clear, and there was only one carrier. So it doesn't mm. mean anything, but when oh, we phone right. the genetic okay. people up, and it, mm. it, is, it is a game of chance. Mm. Yeah, it's something you need to be aware of. Yeah. 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 So, so the grooming issues, do they shed, Harry? No. No, right. No, so they've got, a, they've got a soft coat mainly. Mm. Uh, 
they've not got a coat like the original ceilings had. And the outcrosses, as soon as I outcross one of my ceilings, I've got a programme going where I'm trying to bring, do my own thing and bring the ceiling back to the 1920s, and I'm having great success with that. And I find as soon as I outcross the ceiling, I get a really good coat and you get eyebred figure. Although I'm losing half of my ceiling, the, mm. the little terriers we breed are absolutely phenomenal. They really are a lovely little dog. You know, it's more, it's more of the ceiling I can remember as a child. When I look back in the books, if you used to go on our light, if you want to view them, you'd, you'd go to our website mm. and have a, have a look at them. There's some of them on there. But it's a work in progress at the moment. I spoke to the genetic people at the Kennel Club, which they're quite interested. It might, it might come to the day when we've got to use an outcross to wipe the gene pool yeah. to, to do this. Although it horrifies some of the show people, but yeah. it's written in the, if, if, if you do a, I don't want to go too much into breeding, but if you mm. do, if you get a progeny from the result of the second cross, second generation, and then breed it back to the original purebred mm. to produce the, the same sort of dog, it could be allowed to be registered at the kennel club. That's mm. their own rules. So you can bring an outcross back yeah. into the kennel club. Mm. You know, I've spoken to the genetic people at the kennel club about this, this bringing an outcross, and they're quite willing. Mm. To, to listen and run along with what I'm doing and saying because I've got the proof it's on the floor if you look at these dogs and go back to 1920 any purebred celium if I've got his pedigrees today even I can trace them back to two dogs mm. Huntsman and Pierre Gint Pierre Gint was KC registered Huntsman wasn't and if you look all for the stud books even up as far as 1937 there's got purebred KC registered one and then the father is an unregistered dog Mm. So he, he was manufactured in the beginning. I know a lot of people have got celiums, and mainly show people say they're purebred. But I mean, there was cases in 1910. Before that, Captain Edwards put them together for one reason, one reason only, fronting badgers and otters. They were manufactured. No matter how much we look at it, they were manufactured. They've, they've got Welsh Corgi in them, they've got Fox Terrier in them, Dandy D. Emont. We can't say 100% for sure what is in there, but we can have a good guess at it. And the mm-hmm. history is there for people to check. Now, I know you're really interested in the history of them, aren't you? And you've mentioned Captain Edwards. Did he sort of invent them then? Well, there was, there was, there was two parts of the family. It's, it's John Tucker Edwards. The Tucker side of the family are from... They're, they're Flemish. They come over from Holland. Mm. Uh, the history goes back. You know, I'd love people to research it because I've done it. Uh, one of the ancestors killed Blackbeard the pirate. One of them... There's a, there's a reports of one of the Tuckers. If you trace the Tucker family, if you go online, it's easy to do. One of them come over with William the Conqueror. It's pre deceased I mean, Celia Mansion wasn't built into the 1700s. Mm. And then the, the, the Tuckers married in to the Edwards, which was a big Welsh hunting family of well-to-do, you know. Mm. And so but there is your, your, your Tucker Edwards family, and it was John Tucker Edwards who invented the Celian. He started in the... In probably the 1830s, you know, he had he, he had the ability to, to to experiment, and I suppose he got near to it by about 1840, 1850, and then in the late 1800s it was taken up. The man responsible for bringing the terrier, the Sealand terrier, solely out of Wales and into into England and the rest of the country, is Mr. Fred Lewis. But it's a shame because he never wrote a book. He wrote a lot of articles. Mm. He never, he never wrote a book. And having died in 1936, I mean, Justin Luke has written some good books, another Celian man. But I think if Fred Lewis would have written a book, it would have put everything else in the shade because it was that man we've got to thank for having a Celian. Really, mm. he got him in their first show at Crystal Palace in 19, like from 1910 onwards. After his KC registered, the character and what they was bred for 
if you take away the stubbornness and intelligence of bringing that into home life, it's an, you've absolutely got the ultimate terrier. That's maybe a personal opinion, but that, that's having terriers and kept a few different breeds. Mm. I found mm. that later, midway in life, I've settled down with a ceiling quite well. I couldn't be without one. You know, I've devoted my whole life to them. And, yeah, but yeah, there must you be have. Something yeah. In them. yeah. Now, obviously, there is. You know, these dogs, you're not the only one to be enchanted with these dogs because from this, it sounds quite a, sort of almost a humble beginning in what they were intended to do. You know, they're a working dog in Wales. But they gained huge popularity, didn't they? Yeah, worldwide. So Justin Lucas sold them. He sent them to any, all the Russian royalties had them. Any royal fans anywhere worldwide had ceilings. All the stars had them. I mean, it could be, again, a part of the downfall because if you take it, that Humphrey Bogart, for instance, someone in another interview said, oh, Humphrey Bogart had one. Well, great. But when Humphrey Bogart wasn't acting, he was womanising. And when he wasn't womanising, he was drinking. I see it that there wasn't much time in his life to devote to a ceiling. But then someone was being clever, said to me, ah, they could pay someone to look after it. A bigger downfall because a ceiling needs to bond with someone. If that person, while Humphrey Bogart or any actor is out having their life and having their photos done and doing their eye-flying life, come back into their ceiling, that dog will end up attaching itself to the person who's walking it and feeding it because it mm. ain't a silly dog. If mm. that dog's showing affection, then that person, when it sort of don't give the affection to that person who's brought it and owns it and who's the name, then the dog will drift and go. And rightly so. It's, it's, it's the same with, you know, it, 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 they will bond and it's why I don't put them in, we go to all the country shows and we vet Everyone. We mm. do from 7 in the morning to 7 at night. And we, we have people come up to us that want to buy a ceiling. So what we do, we've got the luxury of asking all the questions. Yeah. And at the CLA Games Fair, which is at Beaver Castle this year, if we can get 10, 20 people that want to wait and really want them and answer all the right questions, you know, some people, some people in the public say, I want a ceiling, but I want to know how long I can leave it. Some mm. people get a goldfish. Yeah, you know, yeah. A goldfish won't mind. Uh, you know, you get asked some silly questions, or someone wants a, I want a celium, a little terrier, or I want a Rottweiler, and you think, well, I even support a Rottweiler because I'd rather someone come that's done a bit of homework, looked at the history, and been fascinated by it, and they get the bug, and then you've got a, you, you, you know, the people that have joined our club and stay in touch with us that are still waiting for celiums that are interested, they. They start to ring over a period of a couple of years the club's been going. And, you know, I've got nothing to hide. I'll share all my knowledge with anyone and I hope people can enjoy them as much as me. It's a thing I've got to spread and do. And I, and I've, I take great pride in doing that. And my satisfaction is when, if and when we do breed, is getting the owner to phone up and say, it's exactly what you said it would do. I can't believe it. I can't, couldn't believe they are trained so quick or how smart they are. Some of them have gone to people with shoots you know, big estates, mm. and they've retrieved flush birds from, from water when they've been shot. They've, they've done as good as any gun dog at retrieving, because they are really above and in front of any other terrier I've ever known or owned. They are deeper scenting. They will pick up a scent and follow it, and they're more like a hand than a terrier. Mm. And that, to me, is a big bonus. I have them off the lead, and I walk past live badger sets with them, and I'm that confident they won't go down... Imagine stop at one some days and her tail will go really slow and she'll mm. come away quick. If I stop three or four days later and her tail goes really quick and she looks at me, I know the badger's in there mm. and I carry on walking. Because yeah. when a badger leaves his set, he fills in his latrines. He digs mm. the walls to go to the toilet in. But when he goes away to another set, he fills them in. He covers them over. 
Mm. So when they covered over and Maggie's towel was going as she come away, I thought, then I see the latrines and there was fresh dung in there. So I knew he was in there. Mm. Maggie went up to the hole and let me know. So I thought, she knows he's in there. But she quite happily was proud enough just to let me know there's a badger in there. Mm. And it's another reason for having that sort of dog. If you've got a big estate and you've got badgers anywhere, you can, you know, because it's a very thin line. You mustn't go near them and disturb them. Mm. And the last thing you want to do is an aggressive terrier going down. Because if any terrier attacks a badger, there is only going to be one winner, and that's going to be the badger. So the celium and what we're doing is, it's a lot bigger than just owning a dog and is he good for a pet? The answer is yes, but, you know, we need to vet the people who want them Make sure they can give him a good life. One chap got quite quite irate at the show. I asked him a lot what he thought personal questions was. I said to him, what do you do? Where do you do this? And how do you do that? And when he came back round to me, he shook me hand. He said, I'm pleased you're asking all them questions. He said, well, I'm sorry for having a go at you about being personal. He said, but he didn't realise it. He said, I remember what you said at the end, the terrier can't ask you. Yeah. I need to ask the terrier. I need to ask for the terrier so that I know he's going into the right, right home. Yeah, As I say, we've got probably 60 members of our club now. Mm, I suppose mm. 30 of them we've bred certain dogs for, and I'm in touch with every one of them. Mm. Temperament-wise, I want to know everything about the dog. And it's manageable at the moment. It's still going on. And to breed them, and if someone has a ceiling from me, they automatically come into our breeding programme. Because I, I know I can find the right the right dog for the bitch, or a good... If I've got a small ceiling dog somewhere and there's a big bit and it's getting too big and rangy, I've now got a small ceiling I can use to it. Mm. bring the size down. You know, it's, it's an ongoing working process. Mm. But I'm sitting here and the craze, if, if anyone could read the country life and go on our website, we do need help in some way, shape or form. You know, yeah. I need to share this knowledge and get this out there. Mm-hmm. Well, I mean, and we haven't actually said that your your pack is the only working Celian pack in the world, isn't it? Yeah, you've got other people that have got crosses and some, there's still, there's still a lot of Celian in some Jack Russells. Because years ago, there were some biggest, big wealthy estates that had Celian dogs. And I spoke to some, and some, the great thing about going to Wales well, is you're talking to some of the Welsh people in their 70s and 80s. And I'm recalling all the conversations I had with them. And one chap used to say, when he was a kid, and Celiums was fetching, they were selling Celiums to America in 1919 for £1,000. You bring that up to today's money and you'll be shocked how much it is. Mm. But what they used to do, they used to take their little bitch Russells around these estates where these wealthy Celium dogs were when they was in Eaton, throw them over the garden wall and let the Celium make the bitch and then run away with their little bitch full <laughs> of six or seven puppies in their belly. And then yeah. these boys will get these little Celium Russells and they go off hunting with them. And mm-hmm. they, like, it's half Celium. So the, the Welsh have still got a lot of that blood and a lot of that stuff is still in them. So I'm, I'm in touch with the Welsh people. And it's, it was a way they, they used to do it because it, coming so fashionable, took it away from the layman and the working man. You mm. know? It, it got in the hands of the elite, as you say, you know, uh, Richard Burton knocked on Mrs. Cunningham's door one evening. I've got the article. She didn't want to open the door. She was a little lady who bred the pole rose breeding. Mm. Not long passed away. And she said, oh, I don't know how it was, but it was raining. And I didn't know who it might be, but it might be someone in distress. So she opened the door and Richard Burton was standing there. And he said, have you got a ceiling for sale? It's for Elizabeth. Mm. And that's how the story goes. That's how Elizabeth Taylor got her one called Taffy. You know, so there's there's some... There's some good stories, and it's not... I mean, Princess Margaret had two. Ilma yeah. Pippin and Ilma Johnny. 
she had two. They was there. Ilma Johnny was a champion in 1954, 53, 54, 55. And I spoke to the lady at Crufts last year who used to groom that dog and get it ready for show. Justin Lucas used to handle it. And it was a champion, but it was under 15 pound in weight. Ilma mm-hmm. Johnny boy. The queen, the queen had a soft spot for ceilings. So they've been banded all over the world, all sorts of... But I don't want to see that come back again. Mm. My aim is to get them to a sustainable level of, say, with 50 pups on the verge of extinction. We don't know if we're going to make it, but we're trying. But if we can get them to around about between three and 500 puppies a year mm. and keep them in the right homes, we don't want them to be, to be seen in someone, some footballer's white handbag. It's yeah. not going to be... You know, it will do us... I mean, if, if a star phoned me up or a football player or someone and we had a chat, it'd have to be me. And if they've got the time and they just don't want it because it's on the front cover or it's one crust, then all well and good. I might consider mm. selling them a pup. I might consider it. Mm. But I wouldn't. It's the same thing. If someone's really busy and they've got too much work, they're not the sort of dog that can be neglected. If you Please don't choose a ceiling if you haven't got the time to put into it. Really, you're really, because you're becoming disillusioned with it and you won't like it, but it'll be your fault. Because what a ceiling makes you do, like they've made me, they've made me realise that us humans ought to step back, slow down, and look at what they're doing. I've learnt more in the last 10 years with my ceilings than I've learnt in the rest of my life with other terriers. Mm. They're such an intelligent dog. And yeah. it's amazing what they'll do to get their way. They'll just melt your heart. Yeah. I mean, I've had yeah. people since I've been doing it, are in their 80s and 90s. Uh, they had one celium and it died when they was 20 and they've never had another dog since because they can't take the loss. Mm-hmm. So yeah. it is a sort of dog, you know, they said, how, how do you cope? You've got six or seven and it is ours. It is mm-hmm. ours. They, a lot of dogs get under your skin or get in your blood. Celium, he'll get in the marrow of your bones. He'll go right through you. Yeah. And he, he, won't, he won't settle for second best in anything. <laughs> You'll never break him. Again, mm-hmm. if you're aggressive towards a dog, or you feel that you have to be in charge and they'll turn away from you. They won't have that. Mm-hmm. When they do wrong, all I've ever done with my ceiling is change my voice. If they do something and I'm out hunting and I'm not liking it, I just go, normally I call Betty, I go, Betty, come here. If she's being naughty, she's up to something like begging for her, I go, Betty, and she turns around and comes back. That's it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You don't have to touch them. They understand. Mm-hmm. You know, they know what you're capable of doing. They can read your persona. They can pick up on, if I'm going to go out, and I go to the car and it's raining, I've tested it, and I've got my boots, I put them on, it's wet and muddy. I go to my boots and I put a pair of trainers on and the ceilings appear around the door and look at me and I say, they come back in and lay down their legs up going, he's trying to mug us off, he ain't going out this weather in them shoes. <laughs> they can read anything. You know, I've, I've sat indoors, people say I'm crazy, but I've tested it to that limit. They mm. really are, what are you doing that for? And they look at you in such a way, say, I've got to say, if it goes to the right home and the right people, I'll guarantee you they won't have another breed. Mm. Yeah, yeah. And that, that, that is that has been set in stone by people like Winifred Barber, Mrs. Cummings. They all had them as little girls, and Mrs. Mrs. Cummings died a few years ago. She was in her eighties. You know, they, mm. they understood the breed. They were good show people, but they understood the breed and all. You know? Yeah. So. Yeah, you you really. I mean, you you are sort of very inspirational about the breed. Um, where can people find out more about you on the internet, Harry? Myfeelings.com. If people put in mycelium.com, they'll come onto our website. It's only a family-run, friendly thing of what we're doing, who we are and what we're about. But we, we do have a website. Uh, and we do go to all the country shows. We go to all the main ones. We do the CLA Game Fair. That's at Blenheim. 
it's not a Blenheim, it's a Blenheim last year, it's at Beaver Castle this year. We do the Peterborough show, the Midland Game Fair, Ragley mm-hmm. Hall. We go to all the state yeomans if we can, where there's a lot of people. So that would be, when we know we're doing all the shows, we put that on the website. Great. And also, yeah. we, you can't miss us, because you can Uber, at the moment, are kindly helping to sponsor us in a way that they've given us a big, bright pink gazebo. Mm. And at first I thought, oh, it's a bit strange, but it stands out like a sore thumb at the country show. It's brilliant. <laughs> yeah. I wouldn't have any other colour now. I mean, it's got me in touch with my feminine side, I'm afraid. <laughs> but there was an old saying years ago, if you wanted the best car, you brought a Rolls Royce. If you wanted mm. the best what, you got a Rolex. If you want the best Terrier, you got a Celium. We will be displaying at Ucanuba's thing at Cruft this year, four days. We've got to give us a pen kindly give us a pen where we can take our ceiling pack to display and we don't show them but that's a big attraction at Crufts because people can yeah. come up they can get in the pen they bring their children up yeah There's a lot of young yeah. families that want terriers have got children so when they come to us what they like with children they come in the pen with me they sit down they give them their land and little tidbit they'll sit there and beg and the kids are playing the only thing is trying to take a seven year old little girl who's got blonde hair and blue eyes she's holding one of the young ceilings and she's crying, Daddy, I don't want it. And the man's got to me, can you get your dog away from my daughter? I said, no, I ain't. <laughs> this is a great big man. He went, well, she's... I said, I ain't upset. And you do it. So then he nearly got the rare over his daughter. You know, she was she was so smitten by the scene. And he brought her back four times. And he went, oh, I'm going to have to buy one, mate. She's gone mad over it. <laughs> uh, no, it's, it's fantastic. People come along to Crust to see us. And mm. it'll all be on our website soon where we're touring around the countryside. Yeah. We've got a breed on the verge of extinction. I've got to make everyone realise if it was their dog, if it was a Patterdale that was nearly extinct or a Lakeland, would they be doing what I'm doing? Would there be someone there to sort of give up their business and put everything they've got into this, their whole mm. heart and soul and life? Because that's what it's going to take. And I would hate to see any other terrier, any other breed in the position that we're in. Because if this gets, if this gets lost in the midst of time, it's going to be so bad that it's only going to be in some people's memories. Yeah, such a, such a charming little character of a dog. It's got to be. It, it, I just can't sit back. I can't imagine. Well, in my time, in my life, I know I'll have a ceiling to the day I die, and mm. that would be it. But that's that's not enough. I look at their little faces, and I think, you know, someone's got to do something. And the pleasure they can give you, they deserve every bit of publicity they get. I want my enthusiasm to rub off on someone else. Let them come along, be part of it. I, yeah. I do believe in what I'm doing with with a passion. Yeah, I know you do. Harry, I'm going to come and find you and your dogs at Crufts and uh, have a cuddle with your dogs. Lovely to see you. Yeah. Really nice. He's a lovely man who's absolutely devoted to the Celium Terrier and we have links on the Dogcast Radio site where you can find out more about them. The most dogs ever owned by one person were 5,000 Mastiffs owned by Kubla Khan. Cecil Aldin was an artist who became famous in the early 1900s for his charming portrayal of dogs. Pre-World War I, most British homes had at least one of his prints hanging on the wall, and he brought out a Christmas annual each year full of his delightful illustrations. The Times said of him, there never yet has been a painter of dogs fit to hold a candle to him. If that's whetted your appetite to find out more about him, consider the book The Rascal subtitled Episodes in the Life of a Bulldog Pup, which follows the mischievous adventures of a young dog in Edwardian England. The book was first published in 1905, and the illustrations are not only beautiful, but will bring a smile to the face of any dog lover. 
Another book, called Puppy Dog's Tales, features the stories of four naughty puppies. And in a lovely personal touch, the illustrations are taken from drawings Aldin drew on the walls of his children's bedrooms. If you haven't discovered Aldin's work already, it's well worth having a search online. Well, that's it for this time. So till next time, look after yourselves and your dogs. Thanks for listening to Dogcast Radio, available from www.dogcastradio.com. That's D-O-G-C-A-S-T radio.com. If you'd like to get in touch with us, and wherever you are in the world, we'd love to hear from you. You can do so in a variety of ways. By phone from the UK, you can contact us on 0121-288-0922. From the US, you can contact us on our American number, which is 315-849-2022. From any other country, you'll need your international exit code and then 441-281-288-0922. You can contact us on Skype with the ident Dogcast Radio. That's all one word, Dogcast Radio. By email, you can contact me on julie at dogcastradio.com. When contacting us by email, if you have the facilities, please record your questions or comments and send them to us as an audio file. That way we can include them directly in our programme. We can accept most formats, for example, WAV, MP3. All these methods of contacting us can be found on our website, which is www.dogcastradio.com. And as ever, the final word goes to Jenny. What kind of dog will laugh at any joke? A chihaha. ha